Church, what is your favorite part of the Christmas story? I want you to think about all that it is entailed in the Christmas story. There's so much. Different scriptures, Matthew and Luke. John has a different way of writing it. But what is your favorite part of the Christmas story? The journey? Was it that there was no room once they got to the inn? The dilemma that was there? Maybe the angelic beings and now they arrived in the, in the field with the shepherds? Maybe the journey from the wise men that arrived and the gifts they gave. What's your favorite part of the Christmas story? Or who's your favorite characters? Mary, Joseph, or we can go back to the wise men or the shepherds. Maybe while Herod was trying to be successful but was end up being dethroned. What's your favorite part? There's so many wonderful and amazing parts of the Christmas story. But that's the story. What's the reason behind the story? Now, some of you are going to be quick to answer because you've seen the bumper stickers, you've seen the, the, maybe the coffee mugs or the sayings. You're going to quick to say, I know the reason. Jesus is the reason for the season, right? Some of you might have that up in your house somewhere. You've, you've seen those before, and that, that's good. You're right on. But explain it now. What do you mean Jesus is the reason for the season? See, God loves us so much that he gave us his one and only son, Jesus Christ. That's the Jesus we're talking about, right? That whoever believes in this Jesus Christ will what? Not what? Perish, right? But we will have what? Eternal life, everlasting life, right? Jesus Christ is God's gift to us. Jesus was sent to save us, to rescue us from death, from darkness, from sin. He's our Savior. I love what John has to say. In John 1, 14, he said, So the Word became human, or became flesh, made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. John writes it that way. He doesn't tell all the other stories that are part of the Christmas story, but he puts it this way, very simple. What he's trying to say is that love came down. And when love came down... He brought salvation. But when love came down, grace appeared. When love came down, fear was cast out. When love came down, he gave us peace with God and with one another. How do we respond to all this? I mean, we have to respond. It's a great story. And nobody just sits in their chairs and hears a great story and then does nothing. Nobody goes to a great concert and the music hits that crescendo and it's like, ah, and do nothing. The grand finale of fireworks goes in the air and we don't do nothing. We respond, right? So how do we respond to this great story? Turn in your Bibles to the book of Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, verse 26 is where we'll start. If you need a Bible, raise your hand and we'll bring one to you. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. We did read this two weeks ago, but I want to come back to it. Familiarize ourselves with this story with Mary. We'll start in verse 26 of Luke chapter 1. It says, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel of Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. 
she was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He'll be very great. He'll be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David. Remember, genealogy last week when we were studying that, going back, referring here to David. Keep that in mind. He will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Verse 34, Mary asked the angel, how can this happen? I'm a virgin. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy and he'll be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but she has conceived a son and is now in her sixth month. For the word of God will never fail. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said come true. And the angel left her. When you look at Mary's journey here, I want you to see a progressive faith that's taken place in her life. It starts off, you see, in verse uh, 29, where she's, she's confused. She's disturbed. She's fearful. The angel even has to say to her, fear not. You're a 13, 14-year-old teenage girl, and you have this massive angel, Gabriel, hero of God, standing before you. Yes, that's a little bit disturbing, isn't it? And so we would, she goes from these motions that of disturbing and confusion and fear into what? Look at verse uh, 34. It sort of moves from this, ah, I'm a little worried about this too. Hmm, wait a minute. How will all this happen? She moves to this stage of wonder. What is going to take place? And then in verse 38, she accepts the news and she submits to the mission. Look at verse 38. Mary responds, I'm the Lord's servant. May everything that you've said come true. You see the steps in this journey. Confusion, disturbed, fear, to wonder, to I'm in. I'll do it. We see the progression, and, and what I want you to see in that too is that that's the way it is, I believe, for all Christians. Very rarely do you see somebody who's like deep in their sin, struggling without Christ, all of a sudden like, I need to know Jesus, and boom, I am living on fire for Jesus. There's usually a progression in your faith. I think of my own faith <clears throat> when, when I was at age seven, I prayed the prayer and asked Jesus to come to my life where I grew up in the church, but it wasn't until eighth grade that I was confused when the camp speaker said, you've got to love God. And I'm thinking, how do you love God? And then when I go out of high school, I go to college, and I'm sitting in college wanting to be a business major. I thought, math teacher, no, business major. And then I hear the chaplain, actually it was Dr. Jay Kessler, our, our uh, school president at that time, said what he said. And I felt like Jonah was just running away from God. All of a sudden it's like, no. Changed my major to Christian education. And then 1989, I moved to Wauseon. I was a youth pastor here for 15 years. And then at the peak of what I thought was an awesome youth ministry, I felt like God saying, no, you're done. Time to move on to something else. And it's like, why? And here I am today. It was like all these progressive steps in my own life. My faith has grown and it continues to grow. I'm not done yet. And so it is with you. And so it was with Mary. 
But when we look at this, there's more to the story. This is where we pick up new. Look at verse 39 with me. A few days later, Mary hurried to the hill country of Judea, to the town where Zechariah lived. She entered the house and greeted Elizabeth. At the sound of Mary's greeting, Elizabeth's child leaped within her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Did you see what happened? This is awesome. Mary is now with child. She comes in, and Elizabeth, she, within her, her child leaps within her, and she's filled with the Holy Spirit. She knows what has just entered her house is more than just a pregnant woman. Or teenager. Elizabeth, verse 42, gave a glad cry, exclaimed to Mary, God has blessed you above all women, your child is blessed. Why am I so honored that the mother of my Lord should visit me? When I heard your greeting, the baby in my womb jumped for joy. You are blessed because you believe that the Lord would do what he said. There's no way Elizabeth would know all this without the Holy Spirit telling her. Mary's faith is increased. It's growing. And now just days into this, she visits her cousin who testifies to the truth of what's taking place. You've got Christ in you. And what happens with Mary now on her journey? Look at verse 46. Mary responds, Oh, how my soul praises the Lord. How my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he took notice of this lowly servant girl. Even Mary knows she's undeserving of this, of this privilege. And from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one is holy. He has done great things for me. He shows mercy from generation to generation and all who fear him. His mighty arm has done tremendous things. He's scattered the proud and the haughty ones. He has brought down princes from their thrones and exalted the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away with empty hands. He has helped his servant Israel remember to be merciful. For he has made this promise to our ancestors, to Abraham and his children forever. Does that sound like a teenage girl? No, but God's got a hold of her and she's bursting forth with song now. Mary is growing in all of her faith. She's amazed at what's happening inside her. Jesus Christ is in her. Church, think about this. She's pregnant with the son of God. God's working on her and in her. I don't know how many times I've read this story. And even weeks ago when I was preparing, it didn't hit me till the middle of this week as I was going back over things. It was like God said, you're not seeing this correctly, Rex. I want you to see it differently. At that point in time, it was like, wait a minute. Okay, yeah, she's pregnant with Jesus. Let that sink in for a little bit, please. Let the truth empower you. In the song, Old Little Town of Bethlehem, maybe you, you know that song, we sing it maybe here and there. But there's a couple verses in there. One of the verses says this, how silently, how silently the wondrous gift is given. Listen, so God imparts to human hearts the blessing of his heaven. Even the songwriter was getting it. The songwriter was thinking, no, no, no. God has imparted himself into our human hearts the blessing of heaven. What is the blessing of heaven? Jesus Christ. God is blessing us with Christ. But look at the next, one of the next verses. O holy child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray. Cast out our sin and enter in 
be born in us today. Have you ever thought about those words? I haven't. Sing them all the time. Maybe go on caroling, sing them in church. Slow it down and think about this. Oh, holy child of Bethlehem. Jesus, descend to us. Come down to us, we pray. Cast out our sin. Forgive me my sin. And enter in. Be born in us today. Let that sink in, church. How often have we sung that and a message of salvation is right in this song and we've skipped over it, right? What an incredible thing. Think about this. Every Christian in this room right now is a Mary. And you're like, what? This is what I'm talking about. This is where my mind went, okay? What God did with Mary and in Mary, he's doing in us. Think about this. When we accept the truth that we are sinners, that we're separated from a holy God, and when we believe that the only way to get right with God is to confess our sins to that holy God, he forgives us. He takes our sin and casts it out. And then he enters in. His Holy Spirit comes into our life as Christians. God, in the flesh, is in Mary. God, the Spirit, is in us. Or as the authors of various books throughout the New Testament would say, Christ in me. I want you to think about this. Mary had Christ in her. But as you read through the, God, the rest of the story of the Gospels and then into the books written by Paul, it talks about Christ in us. Have you ever thought about it that way? Here's what's going to happen. I'm going to throw a bunch of scriptures up on the screen. Okay, I'm just going to zip through and read them. Listen carefully. You might want to write these down and come back and underline some things later. John 14, 16 to 17 says, I will ask the Father. He'll give you another advocate who will never leave you. Who's that advocate? He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. God's given us his Holy Spirit who never leaves. Look at Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 to 14. And now you Gentiles, you've also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believe in Christ, he identifies you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit, whom he promised long ago. Verse 14, the Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he's purchased us to be his own people. He did this so that we would praise and glorify him. 1 John 2.26, I'm writing these things to warn you about those who may lead you astray. But you've received the Holy Spirit and he lives within you, so you don't need anyone to teach you what is true, for the Spirit teaches you everything you need to know, and what he teaches is true. Galatians 2.20, one of my favorites. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live this earthly body by trusting the Son of God who loved me and gave himself to me. 1 John chapter 3, verses 23-24. And this is the commandment. We must believe in the name of the Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he commanded us. Those who obey God's commandments remain in fellowship with him, and he with them. And we know he lives in us because the Spirit he gives us lives in us. Church, are you seeing all these verses coming together about Christ in us? Look one more, 1 John 4, 4. But you belong to God, my dear children. You've already won a victory over those people because why? The spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit who lives in the world. That spirit is Jesus Christ, his Holy Spirit. Turn in your Bibles to, to 1 John chapter 4. We were there last week at the very end of the sermon. I want to come back to the scripture and read some of the first few verses. 
First John chapter 4, all the way towards the end of the back of the Bible by Revelation. Come forward a few books and you'll be there. In 1 John chapter 4, 11, John goes on to say, and again, remember who John is. John walked with Jesus, right? Dear friends, since God loved us that much, how much? To send his son for us much, okay? We surely ought to love each other. Verse 12, no one has ever seen God. But if we love each other, God lives in us and his love is brought to full expression in us. You know what? Nobody's ever seen God, but they'll see God in you when you live for him. Isn't that amazing? You don't believe me? Go back to the scripture. Read that again. No one's ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us. His love is brought to full expression in us. Look at verse 13. And God has given us his spirit as proof that we live in him and he in us. Furthermore, we've seen in our own eyes and now testify that the Father sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. All who declare that Jesus is the Son of God have God living in them, and they live in God. We know how much God loves us. We put our trust in his love. God is love, and all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. How many more verses do I need to read? (laughs) You think if God says it once, that would be good enough for us, don't you think? But maybe we need more proof. So over and over through the New Testament, we see scripture after scripture that says, Christ in me. If this is truth, which it is true, how should we live? Now I struggle with this next part of the sermon trying to explain it because I'm not a woman, okay? And now you're all going, yes, okay, thank you, Roger. As a man, it's going to be hard for me to explain this. So ladies, you're, you're probably going to connect with this right away. Us men, we're going to sit here and say, I don't really, but I'm going to try. So please try with me, okay? Because this is the part that hit me. As I'm thinking about Jesus Christ was in Mary, God was working in Mary, okay? And then we go to all these scriptures about Christ in us. Then it made me think, she had Jesus Christ in her. Let that sink in, please. If you are pregnant, have been pregnant, let that, you're like, oh, yeah, I remember those days. Here's the thing. If you're pregnant with child, what would you do? First of all, you would live with care. You would watch the things you're eating. You would abstain and stay away from alcohol and cigarettes, drugs, anything that could come into your body and do physical harm to your body. You're probably saying, not going to touch that because I don't want to hurt what is in me, right? And you probably, too, have not only that sense of protection about what's in your body, you would also have this joy in your life, like, I've got something living in me. There'd be this joy in you ladies that us men don't get because you are carrying another life within you. And for you, that's amazing. And it's joyful. It's something to think about. It's like, this is incredible, right? Beyond understanding. But then you also, ladies, you also have this hope in you. You're you're sitting there thinking, in a few months or a few weeks or maybe a few days, I'm going to have a child. I better have a nursery ready. I better have a room prepared. I better have a bed. I better have the clothes. I better have the diapers. I better start saving for college for this child. I better start... There's so much hope for down the road. I wonder what he or she will look like. I wonder what they will grow up to be. I wonder what they will accomplish in life. So much hope 
for you women with pregnancy. Like, I'm going to take care of myself with care. I'm going to make sure I've got, I've got this joy in me. And I've, I've got a hope. And men, you know, again, we may not understand this. I can't imagine a child in me. Right? Okay? Neither can you. And please don't. Okay? But here's what I can imagine. Because I went through it with three boys. And that is thinking about driving in the car. Ooh, the first time. I'll never forget. We had Colin. Walked out of the hospital, super careful, watching every step, don't trip over anything, bundle him up in that, you know, this little carrier, make sure everything's padded around around his neck, don't let it, don't let his head move one inch, don't, you know, there's so much care. You remember those days? Some of you are like, yeah, some of you are still there right now, maybe. And then, and then we get to the car and belt strap, belt strap, buckle, belt strap, belt strap, chains, duct tape, everything. Do not let that baby move in the back seat, right? And then you get in the car and you're driving and you're going like, 20 miles under the speed limit because you're going to be super careful and you give everybody that look that drives by aggressive. Like, oh, don't you know I have a baby in there? <laughs> Slow down. You know, it's like you're super careful, right? Because you're so anxious as a man. I knew I was that way. I drove slower. And I, I'm thinking, you know, what else? I, I had to tame myself down a little bit. Because here's the thing. I had little eyes watching me now. I remember one of the first times I was out pushing the lawn, uh, pushing the mower through the lawn, and I look out and here's this little boy, you know, coming down in little shorts and little pushed a little tight mower, looking at daddy. He's like, hey, he wants to be like me? Oh, wow. Then that hits, right? He's going to do the things that I'm doing. So what am I watching on TV? What am I seeing coming out of my mouth? Because my boys will pick up everything I do. So I better watch what I say and watch what I do and be careful what I'm doing, right, where I'm going. It all changed. It all changed. Why? Because I have a baby. It all changes for us spiritually. Why? Because Christ is in me. Think about that. If Jesus Christ is in you, shouldn't it change how you take care of your body? If Jesus Christ is in you, shouldn't that give you joy? If Jesus Christ is in you, shouldn't that give you hope for a future? If Jesus Christ is in you, isn't that going to change how you drive and how you act, knowing that others are watching? If Jesus Christ is in you, it changes everything. And the truth is, he is in us. As a Christian, there's no denying it. You can't say, well, I'm not there yet in that spiritual stage. No. As soon as you confess, as soon as you gave your life to Jesus Christ, boom, you got the Holy Spirit. Some of us just don't realize it. You're not letting the Spirit work through you. You've got them. You've got Christ in you. Let that sink in. I'm sure Mary felt baby Jesus kick inside. I'm sure there's times she's walking, oh, Joseph, 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 Phil, 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 right here. Oh, right? Oh, I remember those days because Jenny would be like, oh, come here and feel this. I'm like, no, no, I don't, I don't want to. And it took a little while because I remember, you know, you're like, you see this thing going across? And it, well, that just popped out. I was like, oh, well, it didn't happen with her. It stayed in. It's like the movie. That's like, like the movie Aliens, right? And I was like, no, I don't want to. That's just freaky weird. So just keep, put a blanket over it or something. I don't know, right? So that kind of stuff just sort of bothered me, right? So it's scary. But here's the thing. Jesus was most likely kicking and moving inside of Mary. She was, there's probably times where she was like, it's moving. And the, the realization, the Son of God is in me and it's moving. Hey, Christ is in us. Shouldn't the Holy Spirit be moving in us too? Amen? Yeah. 
And there's times when you and I both feel convicted. You know it, and I know it. When I do something wrong or I'm thinking something, it's like the Holy Spirit. It's like, mm-mm. You know what's happening? He's kicking in you. He's kicking you. Sometimes he kicks hard in the gut, doesn't he? Like, ooh, I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have done that, right? Like Mary, we need to respond that way. And here's the thing. Here's what Mary, you know how Mary responded? She sang. She was so excited. All of a sudden came to a realization. I'm confused. I'm disturbed. I'm full of fear. Wait, there's some wonder here. This is, how can this happen? To the, you know what? I will accept this. I'll accept this role as the mother of Jesus too. Man, I'm singing about it. I got Christ in me. Church, that's why I'm asking, how should we respond? Do we not have Christ in us? Yes, we do. So how do we respond? I heard an illustration, and it was shared like this. It said, if the distance between the earth and the sun is 93 million miles, think about this, okay, was no more than the thickness of one page of paper, and then the distance from the earth to the nearest star would be a stack of those same papers 75 feet high, and the distance of the Milky Way would be a stack of papers over 300 million or 300 miles high, Keep in mind, there are more galaxies and universes than we can even number, and even more than that. And then if there are, it seems like, dust specks in the air and grains of sand on the seashores, now if Jesus Christ can hold all those things together with one word, wouldn't he be considered awesomely big? And if he is awesomely big, how dare us go to him as a consultant? Well, Jesus, what do you think I should do? What do you mean? He is Lord. He is creator. And we've made him our sidekick. We've made him our assistant instead of our God that deserves to be worshipped. Mary not only sang, she walked in obedience. She surrendered her will to God. I will go through with this. I'll go nine months pregnancy. I will make the journey to Bethlehem like when I'm ready to have a baby, but I'll make that trek. And then I will have a baby in a, in a, main, in a stable and, and I'll place my baby in a trough and I will have shepherds of all lowly people come visit me and, and I will have to flee because Herod wants to kill my child. I will do all this because I have Christ in me. Church, understand. If Christ is in you, you're on a journey and you may have to do things that are uncomfortable to you. But if Mary can do it, I think we can do it. I think we can live that righteous life. Mary's faith and celebration came in stages, but once she understood, she sang. And I wonder, have we gotten to the point where we, like Mary, can sing? Can we sing on Sunday morning knowing that Christ is in us? Do we rejoice in the truth of God's love and our faith? There's a song that a group of students here are going to sing in a couple minutes. It's called God Rest Ye Merry Gentlemen. But before they come up, I want to tell you a little bit about the song. And we're going to put the lyrics up while they're singing so you can sort of read along. But as they sing this song, you have to understand, this is probably one of the most misunderstood of carols that have been sung in a while. Okay? And what I mean by that is we don't really know the true meaning or where it came from. So I was researching Ace Collins. He writes a lot of these things on, on Christmas traditions and songs. And this is, this is what, he, what he shared when he talked about when this was written over 500 years ago. So in the 15th century church, what we'd have in those churches was churches that were very somber, very quiet. And any song that was sung in church was very reverent and oh, don't smile. Okay, we're not going to clap. Definitely not going to clap. 
okay? And we're not going to look like we're enjoying this song. That's the way a lot of the songs were sung. So there's little inspiration of joy. So in the midst of all this, the writer of God Rusty Mary Gentleman brings up this upbeat melody. And speaking of the birth of Jesus in joyful terms. So when you hear this song, and it's supposed to be sung in a joyful term, but I, I said, they might be a little nervous, they might be a little more scared up here, and they, they, may, they may not be as upbeat as they need to be, but they'll try, okay? But that's the way this song was written. And it not only charmed the church, but it got them inspired. The songwriter included high points of the gospel as it, as it wrote out understanding what it meant for Christ to come. And as it, this song crossed the oceans into America, the carol became a favorite throughout the Christian world here in America. And it's still sung the same way it was sung 500 years ago. The only problem is our English language didn't fully transfer the meaning. So we don't fully understand what it means. For instance, when people say Merry Christmas, the word probably happy comes to your mind, right? But the word Mary, as was written then, Mary meant mighty. When you think about it, when you say Merry Christmas, it's not just Happy Christmas, it's a mighty Christmas. You know why it's mighty? Because God, our awesome God, sent His Son Jesus Christ to save us. That's why it's so mighty, right? But if you would have read back then, Robin Hood's merry men, they were mighty men. They weren't just happy men, okay? They were mighty. If you were to describe an army, you said they had a merry army, it was a great army. If it was a merry singer, it was a great singer. If it was uh, a merry ruler, it was a mighty ruler. They were mighty. And so when the English carolers of this Victorian era sang merry gentlemen, they were singing about mighty and great gentlemen. And then another word that was changed or evolved differently when it came over in English was the word, the beginning where it says God rest. It should be God make or God keep. So God make you mighty. And then a punctuation was left out of comma. It should read God make you mighty gentlemen. And gentlemen referring to men and women. This song was like almost like a call to arms to celebrate. Like, look, salvation has come. God make you mighty as you sing this. God make you mighty as you live this. That's what the meaning of the song was meant. And the world's love for the song is probably, you know, it's just so upbeat and so good. But the next time you hear this song, let that soak in too. And that's the way it should be. When we sing a Christmas song, there should be some joy to it. Because as Mary sang... That first Christmas, she sang such a joyful song. She had Christ in her, and she got it. I'm going to have the ensemble. Why don't you come on up, and the worship team, come on up. And as they come up to sing this song, as I said, we'll have the words up on the screen. And you can read along, and if you even want to tap your toes, tap your toes. If you want to smile, you can smile on them. Maybe that'll relax them. But a song again that Mary sang, given birth, joyful. A song, this song written 500 years ago, a joyful song. We have good news. We have good tidings. God made us mighty as we proclaim this. Satan's power and fear the 
Tidings of comfort and joy is a song of upbeat. It is a song that was meant to say, hey, God loves us. God sent his son for us. This is incredible, right? Mary, on that faith journey, she got to the point where she realized, I'm going to sing about this. Church, Christ is in us. We should respond to that, right? Faith always has a response. I heard somebody say this, hey, Christmas is not your birthday, Christmas is the birthday of Jesus Christ. It's not about what you get. Think about that. Sometimes like, oh, what am I going to get? What am I going to get? What am I going to get? I'm going to tell you what you're going to get. Nothing, because it's not your birthday. It's the birthday of Jesus Christ. What did you get him? Why, why, why? Exactly right. There should be some kind of faith response. And in response to what we have received, we live out our faith. We sing with joy. I, I'm reminded of this story, and maybe some of you remember it. It's several years ago, a Walmart employee in Long Island, New York. He was a part-time seasonal worker. He showed up on Black Friday to, to work at Walmart, and uh, his job was to stock shelves that morning, and he stocked everything, and then he got to his position, his post at 4.55 a.m. by the front doors that were going to open up for the people to come in. It was cold outside. Thousands of people were outside of Walmart wanting to get in, get that TV, get those clothes, get whatever they wanted to get, the big sale bargain that's coming, right? But as they're there pressing in, pressing in, people in the front start getting a little irritated because, come on, it's only a couple minutes, let them up early, right? But the doors weren't open yet. And so somebody sort of pounded and pushed on it a little bit on those glass doors. And as they pressed, the glass shattered and the frame landed on top of that young man. As that frame landed on top of them, people started pushing and going in, and they went over them. They stepped on them, they stepped over them, and it continued in as thousands of people pressed into Walmart. To get their bargains like a herd of cattle, they ran. 
And that morning, a young man lost his life. They tried CPR. They tried to revive him. But he ended up dying. 2,000 people in front of that Walmart. How many of them do you think were Christians? Now, if we go with the American average, they say 80%, which I think is way too high. I don't think there's that many Christians in America. 60%, I think, is being generous. So let's just say 50% of them were Christians, if that. If that's the case, there was a 1,000 people that stepped on him and walked over him and never helped him. Only three people stopped to try to help. Three out of 2,000. So rushing in to get what we want, to get our stuff. Church, I know it's fun to say I'm on a mission to go shopping today, but our mission is not to get stuff as a Christian. Our mission is to make sure that people know who Jesus Christ is. Our mission is to be the light for Jesus Christ. Our mission is to sing with joy and hope because we've got Christ in us. That's our mission, church. So as I've encouraged you over the past couple of weeks to love God, now love others, let's truly love one another. You've got Christ in you. You don't need anybody else to help you. You've got the greatest resource right there with you. That's worth singing about. Amen? Let's stand and pray. Heavenly Father, what an awesome God you are. Thank you, Lord, for this day that you've given us, a day we can come and worship you, a day as a church body that gathers and sings and opens up the word. And, Lord, the truth today is you are in us. I cannot comprehend it as a man thinking what it would be like to be with child. But as a man of God, I have you in me. Your spirit resides in me. And it's not just me in this room. It's every Christian in this room. You're in us. So God, protect our eyes. Protect what we put in our bodies. Give us joy. Give us the hope for a future. Help us, Lord, then to take that and to sing about it, to share it with others. We have so much to be thankful for. Help us to respond the right way in faith. Lord, we love you. We want to sing to you now, Lord. You deserve all the praise and glory. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.